Um, and there were a lot of us going into 23 that were nervous about, you know, is this going to be the year that with the rest of us get to see that domino fall with the variant virus? Um, you know, knock on wood, we at least at this point haven't seen that. Um, Jerry, you'll hear me talk a couple of times about MSHIMP or the Morrison Swine Health Monitoring Program as we chat about 23. Um, but that program looks at about half of the U.S. salary. And it measures the disease status of about half of all the sows in the U.S. And it's the best information we have in terms of estimating the prevalence of diseases like PERS. And MSHIP's been around since 2009. So we're going on 14 years of data. And uh, as crazy as this sounds, um, we had uh, probably the lowest incidence of new PERS infections on sow farms in the calendar 23 year that we have ever had since the beginning of MSHIM. Um, so I think that tells us that, you know, biosecurity definitely works. It's time for a new era of communication in the swine industry. One that you can get the latest updates while commuting or driving to farms. Here, you will have the brightest minds of the global swine industry in your pocket. We want to thank the innovative companies and products whose support and trust make this podcast possible. Eastman works with you to accelerate your nutritional program innovation. Cloud Farms, swine management to the next level. MS Gold, the best hygiene products in livestock farming. Healthy Farms by Bioverse, your manure management experts. VVC Premix from DSM Fermanish combines ultra-pure benzoic acid with nature-identical flavorings to safeguard feed and improve performance. Want to save up to 25% in labor time when cleaning your barns? With MS Top Foam Power, you effectively remove all historical pollution. MS Top Foam Power ensures the surface is perfectly clean and ready for disinfection. Find your dealer at www.msgold.eu. Hi, welcome to our latest edition of the Swinet Podcast. I'm Jerry Purvis, your host, and today we have a special guest, Dr. Clayton Johnson. Dr. Johnson is the Director of Health at Carthage Veterinary Service. Uh, Dr. Johnson, I appreciate you coming to our podcast today. Well, thanks, Jerry. I appreciate you having me on. Very good. Uh, maybe to start off, uh, some of our viewers may not uh, know you, but just tell us a little bit about your background and, uh, you know, what was your process to where you are here today? Sure. Um, so, uh, Jerry, I grew up a little bit in both the veterinary business and the pig business. Uh, my dad is a mixed animal veterinarian in, uh, West central Illinois. And I grew up as kind of a clinic rat. Um, dad's classic small small town mixed animal vet so when I was a kid um, you know lots of diversified farms in the area and uh, typically dad would spend his days doing farm calls and then in the evenings the clinic was open most every evening and that's when they do the small animal appointments um, you know the the surgeries the sick dogs and cats spays and neuters uh, vaccines that sort of stuff and uh, we didn't ever own pigs, um, but dad had grown up on a farm and uh, I, uh, uh, I realized pretty quickly that was a great opportunity to spend time with dad was going to farms with him. And um, Jerry, you might appreciate this, but we still raised most of the pigs outside at that point. There were some pigs inside in confinement, but the vast majority of the pigs were just raised on dirt lots. And uh, the vets did the procedures. The vets did the vaccinating. 
the uh, castration, uh, many rupture repairs. The, the vets would come to the farm and do all that stuff with a batch of feeder pigs. And so as soon as I was big enough to help and, and hold, uh, assist would be the fancy word, but hold those pigs, um, I, was, I, was, I was working. And, you know, through that, I got to know the farmers. And um, as you know, pig, pig production is hard, hard work. And they were always looking for help even back then. And so they would ask me to help on, you know, weekends and stuff like that, even when dad wasn't coming out to work there. If they had pigs to move or, you know, once they moved them inside, if they had barns to clean, that sort of stuff, I got a lot of jobs that way. So in that way, I worked with pigs uh, my whole life, really. Um, I went to uh, vet school at the University of Illinois. And um, I knew, uh, Jerry, that I really liked working with pigs and just lots of, of population animal medicine characteristics, the stats, uh, the economics of pig production. I really enjoyed all that um, and was lucky enough there at Illinois early on to get to know the Mashoffs um, as a company and then certainly as a, as a family. Um, did an internship at the Mashoffs after my first year in vet school. It was an amazing experience. I mean, uh, uh, an unbelievable experience. Um, got to know uh, some of the leadership of the company um, and really a ton of respect for, for the leadership, the family, the, the whole organization was everything I could have ever dreamt for a, for a job. And then I got lucky enough, Jerry, that when I graduated from vet school, Mashoffs actually had a job opening. They wanted to hire a vet on the staff. And at that point, it was still pretty weird to go straight into 100% swine-focused medicine. When I graduated, it was still most common to go do mixed animal for a little while, get some swine clients and kind of build up your reputation, and then eventually you could go do swine full-time. But I was lucky enough that, you know, I'd had that uh, internship experience with Mashoffs. I knew they were a good fit for me. They'd gotten to know me well enough that they were willing to take a bet on me. And that's really where I spent the first eight years of my career. Um, eight amazing years where I learned a ton about health uh, across all different production types, um, but also the economics of pig production, um, and particularly finishing. You know, Mashoffs is a large pig producer, is, is heavily weighted towards being a finishing business. Um, learned a lot about pig flows and, and just tons of stuff. And then I had the opportunity, Jerry, about eight years ago now to come join Carthage Vet Service. Um, and my interest in uh, being involved on the business side, you know, just kept growing and growing and growing. Um, and as a, as a private practice, you know, you have the opportunity for, for ownership in the practice and, um, you know, providing some strategic direction and guidance and, and all things that are, are hard to do in a large pig company when your your last name is not on the pig, pig production company. Um and so it really kind of leads me to here. Um, I've, I've worked with pigs my entire life, really um, ne never regretted a whole day, definitely regretted a few minutes of it. <laughs> it's, it's a hard job no matter what role you're in in the industry, but um, I've really enjoyed the journey up until now and look forward to seeing where it goes in the future. Wow, that's, that's uh, Clayton, that's pretty awesome. I mean, you, you've actually been a veterinarian in training is, since uh, a small kid, really. Uh, yeah. and you got started and, and interest grew and, uh, yeah, it's, uh, and I, I like the part, you know, I really respect the part you, you've been on the production side of, uh, of that with a production company, being a production vet and, uh, and there is economics that, 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 that play into those, some of those decisions that, uh, we have to make. So it, it gives you kind of a holistic view of, of the whole, uh, whole industry and how things, you know, work together and how we meet some of these challenges. 
as veterinarian. Well, very good. I, I think uh, just kind of what might want to just start out with is just looking at um, the year and in, in past and maybe taking just briefly uh, kind of a state of the union where we're at today, what we've, you know, how we got to where we were, where we are today and, and this past year and, and just kind of talk a little bit about just recap some of the, the diseases, some of the things uh, where those are at. You bet, Jerry. I think it makes sense to start with PERS. Um, you know, as we rewind 12 months ago and we were coming into 2023, everybody was pretty nervous about what was going to happen with PERS. Um, you know, the, the variant 144 uh, strain was not new at that point. It had been around for a little while, but not everybody had had a taste of it. Um, you know, and it kind of stayed um, really on uh, the western half of the, the production in the U.S., I would say. Um, and a lot of us are fortunate to be on the east side of the Mississippi River. We had heard the horror stories, right? Um, and I think uh, the, there have been those who had gone out of their way to try and calm down the horror stories. Uh, Scott D., uh, B.I., you know, they, they worked together on a pretty big research project early on to settle everybody down and say, look, this is... This is PERS and it sucks. Like, don't get me wrong. It's it's not good, but it's it's another PERS strain, right? And we've seen these things happen before, whether it's, you know, 144, 174, 1182, you know, pick your cut pattern. We've seen viruses emerge every three to four years and kind of sweep their way across the industry. Um, and uh and and be be challenging, but but just that challenging, right? Not not a new Superman virus that's just Perps. It sucks, but it's perps. Um, and there were a lot of us going into 23 that were nervous about, you know, is this going to be the year that with the rest of us get to see that domino fall with the variant virus? Um, you know, knock on wood, we at least at this point haven't seen that. Um, Jerry, you'll hear me talk a couple of times about MSHIMP or the Morrison Swine Health Monitoring Program as we chat about 23. Um, but that program looks at about half of the U.S. sour. And it measures the disease status of about half of all the sows in the U.S. And it's the best information we have in terms of estimating the prevalence of diseases like PERS. And MSHIP's been around since 2009. So we're going on 14 years of data. And uh, as crazy as this sounds, um, we had uh, probably the lowest incidence of new PERS infections on sow farms in the calendar 23 year that we have ever had since the beginning of MSHIM. Um, so I think that tells us that, you know, biosecurity definitely works. Um, we can prevent PERS. And I'm not saying it's easy. I'm also not saying it's cheap, right? Um, but the reality is things like air filtration, they, they are effective. You know, getting away from rendering, it's effective. Basic shower in, shower out procedures, you know, disinfecting our supplies coming in. Those things work. Again, not necessarily easy or cheap, but they work and we do control our own destiny when it comes to, to disease outbreaks. So that's really good to see. Um, on the discouraging side, Jerry, with PERS, um, you know, that's uh, the fact remains we're still putting out a lot of PERS positive picks. Well, this was our best year. That's kind of like we're the the number eight or the number nine hitter in the batting order, and it's like, well, we had we had a good average compared to the other eight or nine nine hitters in the batting order. Well, that's, that's not a good spot in the batting order. If, if you look at that same MSHIP report, they estimate what percentage of the wean pigs are being wean first positive, and it's it's at basically the highest levels we've ever seen. 
So those two things don't match very well together. Um, while we're, we've been pretty good in 23 at, at keeping new PER strains out of the sow farms, we're still, we're still putting out a lot of pigs that are infected. So that tells me that folks either are not eliminating, they're just choosing to live with it, which is discouraging if that's the case, um, or they're, they're, not, they're not having a lot of success eliminating it. But, you know, I would tell you that within the clients we work with here at Carthage, the latter hasn't been the case. Um, you know, we've been able to eliminate viruses. And again, not easy, not cheap. I don't want to oversimplify this, but where there's a will, there's a way, and, and we've been able to get through it. Um, that's kind of my summary of the per side in 23, Jerry. I certainly welcome any you know, comments or additions to that that you've got from, from things that you hear in the field. Well, I mean, the, the per side, uh, knock on wood again, uh, we, have, we haven't seen one for four. Uh, and, and you know, to your point, uh, if we're living, if we got PERS positive pigs, uh, I want to get your thoughts too. What does that cost a producer? You know, uh, the pig's not dying, but you know, there is a cost to that, that immune system now is activated and, and, uh, chronically stimulated and there's a cost there. But, but I'd say, you know, uh, and one thing I would say about the market, I think genetically we have made, you know, product productivity advances. And uh, we're in a state where we really probably have too many sows in the United States if they're if we're healthy. If we've got good, we've really got too many animals. And I think that's what we've seen this past year. Uh, the health is we didn't see the purrs like we did previously, and and so we've really got too many animals. And now we're getting more pigs per sow. Yeah, so that's part of the part of the, the the issue that we're in today is that we've just got too many sows. Uh, with the productivity that we have. And and I think that's what we're seeing. So, yeah. but, uh, We've certainly got some outstanding productivity, and it's amazing how things can work against you, right? Um, and what I mean by that is we, we've ne never had the levels of wean pigs per litter is what we have right now. Um, you know, farms for a farm to wean 12 per litter, it seems like is not asking a ton of the farm anymore, right? You know, they're having 14 and a half, a lot of times 15 born alive so weaning 12 is, is not knocking the knocking not knocking out of the park but when you go into 2023 and you wean 12 and you got to feed all those pigs the price of corn that we had to feed last year man that racks up a bunch of expense in a hurry um, and even if even if we'd have seen market prices that were you know the best we'd ever seen, I don't know that we'd have been able to really soften the blow uh, as much as we would hope to. Just you know the cost of raising a pig, two hundred bucks to raise a market pig, Jerry. I mean that's a crazy, crazy, crazy number for for twenty twenty two and I'm uh, twenty twenty three, and I'm honestly amazed that as many producers have have stayed in the game as as have. Yeah, I think there's some tough conversations going on, to your point, you know, uh, commodities, where they're at. And, uh, and you know, we're, we're getting good uh, productivity, but we're really not weaning that many more pigs. And I think we're, we're at a, I think we're at a uh, biological uh, benchmark where that sow really is not capable of, of taking in enough nutrients to wean more than 12 pigs. I mean, I think that's uh, and I think they've made some improvements genetically. I think we've got sows that are eating a little better, but uh, that's just been a tough, you know, the 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 the, uh, the graph is going way way high on on, on pigs uh, born born alive, but really not capitalizing on that productivity by weaning more pigs. So uh, 
that's 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 why I'd say you know we're at a we're at a benchmark here. I think we're uh, a threshold, and I don't know it's going to take some more technologies or strategies to to push beyond that. I think. I like using the um, the analogy of uh, a race car and the driver and the pit crew when it comes to pit production. And if you think of the sow as our engine, right, um, as the as really the motor that drives us in this race, um, I think we're at a point, Jerry, where we have made improvements in the motor, improvements in the genetics. And the rest of the car, the rest of the pit crew, the the driver, everybody, another, we haven't kept up. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I think we're poised for for somebody to have a bit of a revolution, um, for somebody to figure out something different with housing. To your point, on the the resources the sows need to consume to be able to deliver on their genetic potential, we hold them so back by by not having them eat as much as they should in lactation. Right. You know, three months out of the year, depending on where you're at, maybe more. It's so hot in those farrowing yeah. farms that we just we aren't getting we aren't putting enough fuel in the engine to keep that thing revved up where we want it to, to be. And to be blunt, you know, we as veterinarians are going through a lot of the same, you know, curriculum and training as we have for decades and decades and decades. And uh, we're seeing that, you know, the molecular advances in genetics are just outpacing us. So as a pit crew, you know, that's that's typically what I think of as the pit crew. It's people like me. It's the nutritionist, um, you know, the people in facility design. We're the ones that are trying to do maintenance on the car. And man, we're trying to do maintenance on a, on a machine that we've never seen before. And I think, you know, one of two things will happen. We either say that that sow is just so amazing that, you know, we need to we need to toggle it back some right now. No, no, no. Let's go back to, to a, a later, later model engine and something we know how to work on. Um, but I don't think that's the direction we're going to go. I think we're going to choose the other fork in the road, which is the rest of us are going to have to get smarter. Uh, and or we're going to have to do something crazy, you know, put these sows in air conditioned barns or something like that where the restriction is no longer the environment where we can truly express that genetic potential because it's amazing. Yeah, most of, most of the housing out here is a good 20 plus years old and we were dealing with an entirely different animal. You know, now they've, they made sows longer uh, so they get additional teats and uh, we've, got, we've got animals that probably only fit in the crate as a gilt and then want, you know, her next parity on, she's, you know, there's not enough space. It's just because we haven't, you know, we've got the facilities that, that are 20 plus years old, you know. Yeah. Uh, so there's going to have to be some adjustments there uh, to your point or um, we got to figure out some way that we can, you know, mitigate some of these uh, areas or issues uh, like space. But, uh, yeah, I don't know what's going to be. Uh, it's almost like you said, we're, we, we've got the race car and we just don't have the support system to drive that race car and get get out of it that that cadillac that we have yeah so now talking about uh, so purrs of course is the big uh, dollar uh issues what about some of the other you know diseases like uh that was the one i was i just couldn't think of uh that seems to be one of the biggest ones in our area we we, we really fight pd it seems every year yeah, uh, quite blue. But uh, what was your take on some of those um, those diseases? That look back in twenty twenty three. Yeah, so I'll start with uh, with flu. 
Um, seen plenty of flu activity this fall. Um, now, I would say it's been a normal year for flu activity, but, you know, particularly in Iowa, um, we kind of see this repeated uh, situation every year. We're about in uh, September, early October. PERS kind of starts in western, uh, pardon me, flu starts in western Iowa and marches its way across the state. Um, and I'd say that's went off uh, as expected. Um, we've seen more and more of the gamma cluster of flu strains this year. Um, you know, Delta was kind of the dominant flu strain there for a while, uh, but, but it seems like gamma has kind of evolved to at least rival that as like a 1B. It certainly hadn't replaced it. There's still plenty of Delta out there, but gamma deserves as much attention as Delta at this point probably. Um, and we've seen a little bit of uptick in uh, pandemic strains of influenza as well as an uptick in the alpha um, H1 uh, clusters. Um, now, I would tell you, I think most people are pretty happy with their flu control, um, especially people that are using uh, custom vaccine platforms on the sows. They're able to get the flu out of the sows. So you get a sow farm and gets infected with flu. You don't have to live with it in the wean pigs for forever um, through autogenous, uh, mostly autogenous vaccines, but some commercial too. We've been able to eliminate it out of sow farms pretty well. And keeping sows immunized has really helped to minimize the, the lost pregnancies, the bad conception rates that have come with flu outbreaks in the past. So I think people are pretty happy with where they're at on the flu side, especially if they're using some of those custom vaccine programs. Um, mycoplasma, Jerry, I hear lots of people happy with their mycoplasma elimination program. Um, you know, nothing formal as an industry, but just more and more producers. If you got to shut down to get rid of a PED, a PERS, particularly PERS, because it's got such a long herd closure associated with it, a lot of people are trying to do two birds with one stone. If you shut down for PERS, let's try and get mycoplasma out as well. And some people have tried some unique antibiotic approaches, try to time the antibiotics earlier, use a little different combination there so that the herd closure isn't as long. So there's not as much pain associated with the elimination. And it seems like we're starting to make some progress there. Um, so I'd say good news on, on the mycoplasma front as well. We're just flat out seeing a lot less disease because we're starting with a lot less infected pigs. Um, PED, Jerry, I would tell you in the Midwest has been unbelievably quiet. Um, and the MSHIP data would back that up. Um, you know, I looked at it before we got on this call, Jerry, and in the last three months, there has only been three weeks, we report every week, and there's only been three weeks with any reports of PED getting into a sow farm on MSHIP. Only three weeks out of the last three months. And those those months were September, October, and November. Yeah. Uh, now, the, the, the shoe could drop, right? I mean, it, it could fall here on us any time. So knock, knock on wood as I say that. That's good uh, news, Jeff. Well, to me, it, it tells me we can take this thing further with PED. Um, there is an opportunity to eradicate PED from the United States. I have no idea how we put legs under that program um, because there's really not one group that's a resource to come to the industry and say, we're going to collectively eradicate this disease. Here's the plan. Here's your role within the plan. Here's the timeline for when your region's going to eliminate you know, I don't think, Jerry, we need to worry about the, the show pigs or the people that are inoculating guilts for PED, um, at least in the first year or two. Let, let those folks do what they do. I don't think there's a lot of show pigs getting PED that are causing infections in our sow farms. Right? It's, it's, it's the finishing pigs that go to the packing plant. That's where all the transmission happens. And so if we can shut that down, 
I think we protect our commercial industry. Uh, and if we can shut that down for a year or two, then those folks that have been exposing their guilt, I think they'll look at the results and say, yeah, I probably don't need to expose my guilt anymore because practically we pushed it out of the commercial industry. It's easy for me to conceptualize that, Jerry. But when I think about, you know, okay, well, we've got National Pork Board. We've got National Pork Producers Council. We've got SHIP. We've got SHIC. We've got the state animal health officials. We've got the USDA, the FDA. The reality is, even though all the tax money, all the producer dues that go to all those things, none of those groups are really resourced or organized to do a disease eradication program. So to me, I, I feel like there's huge opportunity there to grab the bull by the horns and do something about it, to meaningfully change our, our future for PED and practice disease eradication, which unfortunately we may have to practice under real world circumstances at some point. But I just struggle to connect the jot, dots, Jerry, with like who's going to be, who's that organization or that entity that can come forward and b deliver a credible plan that people will buy into and ultimately go execute. And obviously, there's got to be some accountability there. You know, I rattled off all those acronyms and entities before. Then um, at the end of the day, park producers don't report to any of those, um, at least not when it comes to PED management. So. It's a it's an idea, and I think it's one the industry would benefit from. But you know how to get traction? I'm I'm at a loss, just like everybody else. You know, just thinking, uh, you made a good point about how uh, we seem to see uh, less incidences when we have a disease that really everybody focuses on. And I just wonder if it's just all of a sudden now everybody really, you know, gets serious about biosecurity. And, uh, and and they, and they start actually doing what they have on paper, and it's actually being executed out in the field. And it's kind of like you know, went through COVID and uh, the flu. After we came out, you know, I think people were just more conscious of, of not being around, and, and and when they're sick, not being exposing other people. So you think that's? I think that gives us some hope that uh, probably a lot of this is controllable. It's it's not you know within. Uh, within reason, we can we can actually uh, put in some places and, and actually get some plans together that if everybody, you know, pitches in and does their part, uh, we'll all work together and get some of these diseases behind us. So I think it's because uh, I think at the end of the day, it's uh, we've all a lot of us got we have biosecurity plans, but uh, in many ways, in many cases, what is executed is is not necessarily the plan. That we have papers. So, and to me, Jerry, there's so many intangible benefits from getting rid of a disease like PED. Um, you know, if you've got pigs that are sick with PED, it's just as miserable as having pigs that are sick with PERS. Pigs yeah. that are sick—it's no fun to go to a pig barn when you know they are sick. It's no fun for me, and I'm only going to be there for a couple of hours, and then I'm on to the next one, right? And I can remember working in those barns. Man, I mean, raising healthy pigs is fun. Um, oh yeah, I, it. It is. It's just uh, there, there's not a better day. Um, but raising sick pigs, no matter how good you are at raising pigs, is miserable. I mean, everybody feels defeated. And, you know, uh, intangible things like labor, right? I don't know anybody who's in a great labor situation right now. And if your first day on the job is walking into a, a nursery that's loaded with scouring PED pigs, good night. That's not a very fun introduction to the pig industry, right? 
And so um, if we can take bad days away, you know, think about that, what that does, not only for the, the well-being of the animals, because they're not sick anymore, but the well-being of our caretakers, that they get to actually practice production principles and not spend all their time washing their hands in between rooms and changing boots and doing all the things you got to do when you got sick pigs. Yeah, it's hard to get. I had a, um, we had a couple uh, instances of PD where we had to wean down and and it is, it's, it's no fun. You, every day you go in, it's really demoralizing. You, you know, you're working hard and, and those pigs, you come in and you have the mortality that you have and, and you just, gosh, what, you know, what can I do different? And, and you just pull in straws and, and then you get up the next day and you go do the same thing. It's just, you know, it's like you're getting beat down and, and, uh, but you got to keep getting back up and it is a tough situation. It's not a lot of fun to your point. Yeah. It's, it's fun when the pigs are thriving and, and you're coming in and, and you feel, you know, somewhat like you're, you know, you're making an impact. Yeah, but, you're producing. Yeah, that's right. So it, it, it is, uh, it does impact the caregivers for sure when we have, you know, health issues. Yeah. But, so, so I guess uh, we're at the end of the year and we're looking back. What do you think, uh, looking, look at your crystal ball, what do you, what do you think is going to happen in this uh, new year? And what's, what do you look for some, some things that might, uh, some technology or some areas we might improve or uh, we stuck with some of the things as we linger and go uh, leave in 2023. Well, um, let's start with a, a positive here, um, Jerry. There is a new vaccine platform that's come on the market here in the last couple of months. Um, it is a prescription autogenous vaccine, which means down the road, we'll have some flexibility with different products that come out of it. But initially, um, there is a, a rotavirus vaccine that is going to be one of the first um, components of that subscription or per, pardon me, prescription vaccine platform. And it's uh, from a company called Medgene, M-E-D-G-E-N-E. -E. And I'm not here to advertise anything for anybody. Um, but I would tell you that the industry has long needed uh, more rotavirus vaccine options. Um, the, the scours are, are a common challenge on every farm, and rotavirus is not one of those diseases that we're going to eradicate. It's uh, every pig's infected with it. It's just too easily transmissible from sow to pig. Not practical for us to eradicate anytime soon. So we got to deal with it, and we've historically dealt with it without a lot of vaccine options. Well, we, we got a chance to do some field trials in 2023 with that vaccine. Um, and, you know, they're, they're anecdotal, right? It's we put the vaccine in and here's what happened. Uh, but I would tell you in my experience and really talking to lots of other vets that see a lot of pigs across, across a lot of geographies and a lot of genetics, and a lot of health statuses and nutrition programs, everybody's had uh, promising results, let's say, with that vaccine. So I think that's really exciting because rotavirus is the most common cause of baby pig diarrhea in the United States. Um, just about every sow farm has some rotavirus scours on it at any given time. And uh, especially for the bigger units, the, the 5,000s, the 6,000s, the 10,000 at sow farms, um, it seems like you get more scours the bigger those farms get. And knock on wood, that one appears to be uh, it, it appears to be something we need to look at. I'll put it that way. And again, I'm not here to advertise for anybody, uh, but that's probably a, a product and a new tool in the toolbox that I'm super excited about going into to 2024 here. And I don't know if that's something uh, you've you've had any experience with out on the, uh, the the East Coast there, Jerry, or not? Yeah, we it's it's kind of a uh, hit and miss. You know, you can have it in the nursery, and and uh, this this group pig 
pigs do fine, and then uh, you know you, you've got pretty low mortality, and then then the next group it, it spurs up, you know, and and uh, so it's really a uh, I would say you know pretty good description of the prevalence. I would say you know like I said, it's not getting the the attention uh, hers and and uh, some of these other PD, but it, it is a silent killer, and it, it is impacting a lot of nurseries, and we lose a lot of pigs. Uh, for sure. So, yeah, I, w- I would say, yeah, that's that's pretty prevalent and uh, pretty impactful. Yep. Also, on the last half full front, Jerry, on new tools in the toolbox, there's a decent chance we'll get some sort of a, a thumbs up or thumbs down on the purge-resistant pig um, coming in, in 2024. And that's still in the regulatory uh, approval process. So we, we haven't gotten uh, the, the firm feedback from the regulators that they're willing to approve it or not willing to approve it. But it seems like we should get some certainty there at some point in 2024 on what that'll, what that'll mean. Um, obviously, if, if it gets approved, the producers would be very excited about that. Um, you know, to our earlier discussion, raising healthy pigs is fun. And if you're an unhealthy pig, hers is probably a part of it for you right now in the United States. And if we've got a, a what appears to be a bulletproof solution to that, at least for today's modern PERS viruses, um, you know, producers are going to be very excited to get that. Obviously, there's a little bit of caution there just in the fact that uh, just because it gets approved regulatory wise doesn't mean producers will get to use it. Right, unless you unless you harvest your own pigs and you sell that own meat, that meat, you're a little bit at the mercy of what the person who harvests your pigs is going to allow you to use. So, um, you know, Inquivest being a classic example of uh, a product that you would sure think over the last year or two had wildly positive ROI for pig producers, right? With with feed prices where they were and and with hog prices being actually decent compared to historical. Um, Improvest would have been something that would have made uh, producers a ton of money um, if they were able to use it. But the reality is we, we are not allowed to use it. It's legal to use, but our customers tell us they won't buy the pigs if we use it. And so um, will the purge resistant ge- genetics, you know, will that go down that same path? I think everybody's very interested to hear about that. Um, but I, you know, I certainly don't have any, any insight into what that's going to look like. Um, but if your glass half full, well, the purge resistant pig could be here. If your glass half empty, well, maybe it'll be here, but the Packers may or may not be willing to let us use it. And then the other uh, glass half full look at it would be even if it gets approved and the Packers say, heck yeah, throttle down, let's go get rid of purse. Um, you're talking about years before that gets to the pipeline because there won't be gilts for sale in 2024, no matter what. You're going to be able to get semen um, and you're going to be able to start using semen. But the way that technology works is both the mom and the dad really have to be um, uh, homozygous, they call it. But ultimately, they need to be double recessive for that trait. And you're going to start out with semen that is that is correct. The, the semen is purge resistant, but you got to get your, your female population you got to get that turned over till they're fully resistant before you can actually produce a pig that's fully resistant. Um, so we're, you know, even if the, the the throttle, the pipeline got turned on next year completely, it's realistically, you know, the end of the 2020s before we've got massive amounts of those pigs that would hit slaughter plants. So exciting, great to see technology um, improving. Uh, but I would say, you know, cautious optimism um, for uh, for what that means for us going forward. And practically, other than just some good news in 2024, 
I don't know that it's going to impact anybody's bottom line immediately in 2024. Yeah, for sure. It's, it seems like just because the technology makes sense that it's good, it's good for our numbers, it's, it's good for our production, doesn't mean that we're going to get put that tool in our toolbox. You know, we, we may have to. Uh, we've got some roadblocks and, you know, invariably it's the, it's like you said, it's the processor. Is he going to uh, pay for that? Is he won't even want that? And, and, and down to the consumer, you know, is the consumer going to accept that technology? And, and uh, if they're not, then it's not something that we're going to be able to use. Um, and then, you know, another, another point is uh, if we, if we eradicate PERS, now we've got, you know, all more pigs hitting the market. There's only a set certain amount of shackle space, so some, yeah. some there's going to be some consolidation. There's going to be some some farms that uh, we're going we're going to cut some sows for sure. Yeah. So some people are going to win, some people are going to lose, and uh, so that's another. Uh, when all those pigs on the market, you know that's not going to be uh, good for price for sure. If you're a producer. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's there's some issues there, uh, kind of like with the AI. You know, with uh, we start replacing people at some point, maybe we have more people than we got jobs, uh, and and that's that's a, a you know an issue we <laughs> uh, never thought about. But uh, thinking about you know trucks driving themselves, who would imagine that we we'd be able to to operate and uh, without truckers? Man, uh, I've been fortunate, Jerry. Uh, travel the world. Um, Dr. Tim Lola always says it's amazing where a stinky pig can take you. And, uh, you know, a stinky pig has taken me to, to places in Southeast Asia where they have that exact situation, Jerry, where they, they still farm one or two acres per person by hand. And it's not because they don't know about tractors and combines and all that equipment, right? It's not because they don't know about modern seed genetics. It's because they, they understand that, that, that conundrum you just laid forward is that, yes, I could implement that technology and it would make my production better. <clears throat> but then what do I do for all these people that need jobs? You know, I'm, I got, I got hundreds of millions of people, farmers, and that's their job. What do I do for those folks? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. It's, it is something that uh, I think we're going to see. We're going to, an issue that we're going to see down the, the pipeline is uh, we, we're going to figure out some of these issues and, and we're going to have more pigs, you know, and uh, what are we going to do uh, when that happens? And uh, how are we going to, uh, you know, just thinking about some technologies, what are some other technologies you think that are encouraging uh, going forward that, uh, you know, some of the uh, cameras and, and being able to maybe uh, predict when, an, you know, be a little bit ahead of the curve when an animal starts to get sick, you know, maybe a sow is starting to, to limp and then maybe we can treat that sow, you know, early, earlier or, or get in front of that before it's too late and we have to euthanize. What are, what are some, what are some promising technologies you think that, uh, that might help your, your job, you know, as you go out and try to treat populations of animals? Well, it's a great question, Jerry. And I do think there's a lot of exciting stuff there. Um, you know, and, and for a lot of these things, we, we tend to get um, consumed by things we can't control, like is the first resistant pig going to get approved, right? Well, maybe it will, maybe it won't. But the reality is I should spend about zero time worrying about that because I have no impact on it, right? Yeah. Uh, the camera technology you bring up is one that I have, I have an impact on uh, because I, I would tell you, Jerry, I think there's a ton of technology that's out there that we just aren't applying. 
you know, the, the people that are inventing uh, these, you know, newer uh, motion sensor cameras, the thermal cameras that can read temperature, um, the cameras that can evaluate, you know, the, the animal's movement and those sorts of things, their gait, they're not making those for pig farmers, right? You know, the people working in Silicon Valley, they don't have a pig farm in Iowa or North Carolina or Illinois top of their mind when they're making that stuff. But they're making the technology that we can harvest, that we can use. And, you know, no different than the farmer that got the Model T and turned it into a tractor, right? You know, the Model T wasn't made for that purpose, but somebody was clever enough to say, okay, I can apply that tool in a different way. And I think for clever and progressive producers, those opportunities are out there. You know, cameras that are as basic as just uh, monitoring and auditing biosecurity practices, um, I've, I've got some experience, uh, Jerry, using some of the uh, cell phone uh, uh, trail cameras. Um, I like to, to be outdoors and I like to hunt. And it hit me at some point, you know, I've got these trail cameras that are out and they, they take pictures of nice big deer and I see them on my phone. And I wish I was sitting in a tree stand. <laughs> and, uh, why don't, you know, why don't I put that up at the loadout? Um, and it can send me videos of the loadout. It can send me pictures of the loadout. You know, I, I talk about how important that is. When I go to a farm, they're generally not loading pigs, right? So I can't audit it. I can't see how it works. Um, but the, the videos allow me to watch every loadout at, at any farm that I want to. And I can, if I watch it in, in uh, uh, the rearview mirror, meaning I'll watch it, you know, yesterday's loadout today, I can speed them up and watch them in fast forward. So it may take me an hour to sit there and watch the loadout, but I can actually get that done in 20 minutes if I watch the video on 3x speed. You know what I'm saying? And so I think for just basic auditing, the cameras are plug and play. Use them. Put them in. The eye in the sky doesn't lie. And it's a great uh, teaching tool, accountability tool, training tool all over the barn. Um, I think for uh, identifying sick pigs, I think the, there's a ton of opportunity there. I think that's a layer deeper on, um, you know, a producer probably can't buy the cameras off the shelf today and just put them up like they can to audit, you know, biosecurity or stuff like that where we just need the video. Um, to my knowledge, there's not a camera that's sensitive enough to, you know, take the body temperature and identify the one pig that's got a fever. We aren't that good yet, but, you know, producers can probably get there. And if they're waiting on Silicon Valley to produce it for you, I don't think that's going to happen. You need to dig into what human medicine is doing. You know, think about other countries and what sort of camera technologies they use to develop uh, to, or to identify people with fevers at the borders. Because over the last couple of years, that had a lot of value, right? Um, if you were a country that was locked down for COVID, but you were letting some people fly into your country, I guarantee you those cameras staring at us coming off the, the planes, they knew if we had a fever or not, right? So somebody, somebody digging into that technology and then replicating that will be a huge labor savings. Because what does our labor spend most of their time doing today? Same thing that I did when I was a kid. You look for something to do, meaning you walk through that nursery and you identify what pigs are sick and need care. We spend 80% of our time looking for the 5% of the animals we want to do something with that day. Um, and that's, a, that's not a good use of time, right? So where cameras can help us to identify those individual animals that, that, uh, that need help, I think they're going to be very valuable. That um, if nothing else, they, they give us insight into what's going on in that barn overnight when we're not there. Diseases like mycoplasma, 
You know, those pigs cough in the morning, but they may not cough the rest of the day. Well, if you're farming in the morning and you don't come in the barn until 10 o'clock, you may not see anything. And, you know, those two, three dead pigs you're dragging out, you're like, I don't get it. These pigs are healthy. Well, they're showing clinical signs of disease. They're just not showing it when you're there. And, the cam- you know, the cameras, the technology, it doesn't sleep. It doesn't take breaks. It doesn't rest. It's there it's 24 hours a day, seven days a week, holidays, weekends, just like the pigs. So um, uh, it's a can of worms there, Jerry, because I'm pretty passionate that there's big opportunities there. And I'll just I'll hit on what I said before. We spend eight. We take 80 percent of our labor today. And and that is spent finding the things that need to be done on the farm that day. And then 20 percent of our actual labor time is doing the work on five percent of the animals that need it. If we can use the technology to identify the animals that need the help and then use 100 percent of our available labor time to help those animals, Man, I think we can really make a bunch of improvements in a hurry if we can figure that out. Yeah, if we can take and 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 just identify where it is, so we're not spending all that time trying to figure out where the problem is. We've definitely got enough time to fix the problem and to alleviate. Yeah, I like your point about the uh, cameras. You know, a lot of times for biosecurity, a lot of times we're asking people to do things uh, when there's nobody around. You know, and, and we know sometimes there's nobody watching. You know. Uh, the, it's easy to just to do the easy thing and not do the, the thing that you're supposed to do sometimes and wear boots. And, and so if you got a camera there, you know, it makes people a lot more honest. And, uh, and uh, just by just to have an accountability that yep. we're actually doing these processes. So I think even going down into the farrowing room, you know, you got cameras there, you, you, you can watch processes and make sure things are done correctly. To your point about, you know, identifying sick animals, um, we, we got to figure out, a lot, there's a point where we got an opportunity in that animal that is a mortality. We could have done something probably earlier if we had known and had, you know, picked picked that out. Uh, but once it's once it's gone two weeks, you know, a lot of times there's no there's no uh, opportunity there. We lost the opportunity. There's rarely sudden death in a pig, right? Sudden can happen in a lot of animals. It's it's we get hit by a car. Um, yeah. it's trauma. That's sudden death. There is unexpected death in a pig. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, you post a lot of those quote-unquote good pigs that we find dead in the general population. You open them up and their insides are just riddled with, you know, disease lesions. Uh, but those pigs are just, they're tough. And we are a predator. The pig is a prey animal. And that's not lost on the pig. So they naturally try to hide those diseases from us. You mentioned the sow with the limp, right? The last thing in the world the sow with the limp wants a predator to know is that she's limping. Because the predators <laughs> seek to pick off the weak, right? The injured. And those pigs, that's hardwired in their existence. So they're always going to try to hide those things from us. It's the opposite of human medicine where the patient's telling you what the problem is. The pig not only isn't telling you, they're actively trying to hide it. Yeah. Yeah, you walk through a sow barn, you know, it seems like it, uh, a lot of times you see a sow that's not eating, but you get back and you start really looking, there's generally a structural problem. She's just not getting up. She doesn't feel good. And so she's not consuming the amount of feed that she needs to. Yep. And pretty soon she goes through that lactation, she loses a lot of weight, and then she's out, you know, on, on a, she's on a slippery slope to, to leaving the herd. So, yeah, if, if we can figure out, you know, it's amazing, what I, and you may correct me, but uh, – there's about what forty percent of the mortality, sow mortality. We really don't have a, an uh, an explanation for that mortality. Yeah. Uh, so if we can just figure out what's what's happening, you know, it's hard to solve a problem if you don't know what the, <laughs> the cause of the problem is. 
That's exactly right. You, you're guessing at that point. If you don't know the cause and you're trying to make it better, you're just guessing. You buy a lottery ticket, open, you scratch it, and you get the right answer. It's time for our famous three. We want to thank the innovative companies and products whose support and trust make this podcast possible. Feedflow. Feed is too expensive to ignore. Take control with Feedflow. At a sale, provides programs and services to help producers achieve their targets in high quality, safe, and sustainable way. AB Vista. New nutritional perspectives and novel enzyme applications to drive pig production. AccuFast. The best way to predict the future is to create it. Start creating your future today at AccuFastSwine.com. Feedflow is changing the way the swine industry sees feed. As the world's only on-pipe feed sensor, Feedflow tells you exactly how much feed is being delivered to your animals, so you can be sure that every pig in your barn is well-fed and growing. With industry-leading precision and up-to-the-minute real-time data and alerts, Feedflow is a simple and affordable way to improve production outcomes across your organization. Feed is too expensive to ignore. Try Feedflow today. an animal nutrition technology company offering innovative products and new applications for the swine industry. The combination of AB Vista enzymes, technical services, and nutrition expertise provides the industry with new opportunities to further improve production efficiencies. Fiber is receiving renewed interest due to its influence on the microbiome, and AB Vista has brought together research experts to discuss the industry's knowledge of fiber functionality and to introduce a stimbiotic targeted to improve fiber digestion. To request access, contact NAM at abvista.com. That's N-A-M at abvista.com. Well, very good. Well, well uh, Clayton, we, we could probably talk forever, but the time's growing nigh here, and I got three questions we always ask our guests at the end. And uh, so the first question is, what is your favorite resource? Um uh, that you use? Uh, well, Jerry, I'm partial to the, the Swine Health Black Belt podcast, but I would say anything from the, the Swine It uh, group of resources. Um, and, you know, it, in all honesty, um, I don't think there's one resource, Jerry, that I like to use. Um, I, I, try to, I try to peruse lots of different things, um, and certainly not the least of which is just one-on-one -on -one conversations with people at the farm dealing with pigs every day. Yeah, you know, that's uh, I found that to be true. If you want to figure out how to solve something, go to the person that works on the barn. Many times they have the answers. Uh, they just never been asked, you know, and uh, they're there every day. Like you said, the, you know, if we, if we were there every day, we would know why that pig, why that group pig died or why that, you know, they were having issues. But uh, those people, I, I learned so much from, from, from talking to the people that are on the, you know, the front line. Same here. Very good. Well, and uh, secondly, what uh, who's been maybe your your biggest influence in your career? Most influential person? Oh, um, I mean, I know that's a tough question. You get down to one person. <laughs> we all have multiple influences. Yeah, I mean, yeah, m multiple influences. Um, I had a grandpa Jerry uh, who was extremely influential to me. He was career army officer. And really everything I know in life about kind of command presence and, and how to um, have a leadership presence around other people, I, I learned from my grandpa. Uh, my dad, who is a mixed animal veterinarian, really taught me how to um, respect people, 
um, how to how to listen um, and, uh, and and try to help try to help people solve bad situations. Um, uh, my uh, my mom really taught me a lot of the value of hard work, particularly as it comes to education. You know, um, success is when opportunity meets preparation. Um, and you don't ever get to define when the opportunity shows up, but you better be prepared when it shows up because if you're not, you're not going to be successful. Um, you know, I mentioned my time at the Mashoffs, but um, from the Mashoff family, Ken and Julie, Dave and Karen, um, all of them, uh, to see how successful they've been as individuals and business people and then how open they are with their employees um, really taught me a lot about, you hear the term servant leadership. Um, but, you know, I mean, they, they genuinely cared about their people and, and uh, I couldn't have asked for any better mentorship when it comes from uh, how to be a good owner there. All the technical people I worked with there at Mashoffs, Steve Quick, who was my boss for many years and taught me a ton about finishing production. Uh, Jim Lowe, who was a veterinarian associated with the Mashoff for years and years and years. And I learned so much from him. Um, John Waddell, who I did an internship with and still continues to be a great mentor uh, to me. Great example of what it means to be a good human being, a good good family man, and a good veterinarian. And yes, you can do all those things simultaneously. Um, and then here at Carthage, um, you know, really our entire vet team. Um, uh, I, I would be remiss if I if I had started naming them because I'd forget one. Um, but the, the ownership group here at Carthage, our management company and the, the executive team there, the senior leadership team, uh, Bo Peterson, our CEO here at Carthage, Brianne Skeen, Marcy DeMitt, our controller, a whole bunch of folks that uh, maybe are, are behind the scenes for some of our producers, um, but the, that uh, inspire me every day to, to, to be the best that I can be. Um, and while I'm running down the laundry list, you know, my, my family, my wife, Allie, who has been amazingly supportive of my career. Um, every time I've uh, been in a tough situation work-wise, she's, she's always let me help out as much as I needed to at work and never made me feel guilty about that. And then my kids, Jake and Nina, um, who uh, always um, are a wonderful thing to come home to, home to when you've had a bad day of dealing with those PED pigs or the pigs. Um, you know, they, they remind you what you're doing it for when you come home and spend time with family. Yeah, you know, the old saying, it takes a... Um... A, a tribe to raise an Indian, and I think that's true of most of us. We have many, many, many people uh, along our journey that have helped us, and uh, maybe in different ways and you know different methods. But uh, they've all played a part in in growing the people that we are uh, today. So very good, very good. And last, uh, what what do you think are some of the characteristics that would define you know successful people? Uh, in your industry, in your line of work, veterinarian, what 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 are some of the you know characteristics that successful people have? You know, I think uh, being a good listener um, is first and foremost. Um, uh, seek first to understand before you seek to be understood. Right? Um, if you if you walk in and you think you've already got the diagnosis before you ever walk in the barn, you're probably going to look silly. Um, so, you know, listen to the pigs, listen to the people, listen to the barn, um, take all of that in and, and have a little bit of patience before um, coming up with an action plan. You got to have an action plan, but having the right action plan is more important than having the first action plan. Be more results oriented than action oriented. Absolutely. Yeah. We talked about it a little bit before, Jerry, but um, for a pig veterinarian to separate yourself, you got to understand the economics of this business. Um, there's, there's four things the pig vet does biosecurity, 
disease control and treatment, regulatory compliance, food safety and animal welfare, and then doing it on a budget, the vet med budget. I can be the best vet in the world if you give me an unlimited budget for biosecurity, for vaccines and medication, right? For the perfect regulatory compliance program. But really what separates you as a, as a veterinarian and your value proposition is the ability to deliver high quality recommendations in all those areas that are also competitively priced, that, that you know, don't blow the budget and optimize the health to that particular client. I think that's, that's probably the best piece of advice I would give for a vet is understand the economics of your recommendations from all angles. Yeah, to, to, to your point, it's, it's uh, at the end of the day, we don't have unlimited resources. So we don't we have to pick those areas and, and, and use our resources wisely because they are getting more precious and precious uh, as we go um, with all the financial, you know, uh, crises that we have. It seemed to have had the last couple of years. And and uh, so, yeah, we definitely don't want to spend money where we could get by with a little something and we want to get the big best bang for a buck in all areas. But, uh, but it, it, a truly a good, uh, being able to have your, your background and having that experience and understanding, you know, economics and, uh, how that plays into your decisions is, is, is key. key to being successful. Well, we dream Jerry of, of in farming, passing it down to the next generation. Right. And the only way you can do that is if it's economically sustainable. That's right. That's right. Yeah, we, we've got to, we, we're not going to exist if we're not uh, sustainable and uh, we're not going to pass on, uh, you know, our, those, we want, and all of us, I think all farmers are, we care about our animals, we care about our land, we want to do the right thing, but at the end of the day, we also want to stay in business and, and there's got to be a, you know, a balance there where, uh, you know, they can ask us to do, give more space or, to a sow, and and we're we're happy to do that. We want to improve animal welfare, animal welfare health, but we also want to be scientific about it and understand that uh, you know there's data behind that decision, and we're not just doing something just just create a burden for a producer. That's so right. I think that's where most producers are, and where most vets are. We want we all of us want to have better better animal welfare, and and we want to improve the health. So it's very good. Well. Uh, Mr. Clayton, I, I, I appreciate your time. Uh, this has been really informative. I know our viewers will get a lot out of this and uh, just a lot of uh, good gold nuggets I think we can take today and uh, apply to, to just understanding people, understanding our animals, and being able to take better care of them. So, so very good. I uh, appreciate your time and uh, look forward to catching up with you soon. Thanks, Jerry. My pleasure to be on. Looking to elevate your brand and captivate audiences through the power of podcasting? Look no further. Introducing the custom podcast brought to you by Wisemetics, where we take care of the behind the scenes so that you can focus on what truly matters. Podcasting has become an invaluable tool for brand awareness, but let's face it, putting it into practice can be a daunting task. It's incredibly time consuming and requires technical know-how, but don't worry, we've got you covered. With our experienced team at The Help, we'll handle the operational aspects so you can channel your energy into what your company does best. Are you ready to unleash the podcasting potential of your company? Schedule a call with one of our specialists today at the link in the bottom of this episode. You'll also receive a free podcast strategy consult tailored to the unique needs and goals of your business.